Good morning. You're listening to the Manchester Green New Deal podcast. I am your host, Andrew Glassford, who is currently at least 30% melted on the floor, and the other 70% is in some kind of ethereal, not knowing who I am plane. And as ever, joined by the greatest journalist in Manchester who can, whose body still functions to write a pen, it's uh, Alex King. How are you doing, Alex? I'm good. I'm, I'm better than I was this time yesterday. So we, we thought it would be worth to have a quick chat about the heatwave over the last few days. It is now, th- it's Thursday morning, it's the 21st of July. Um, I think to put it bluntly, Monday and Tuesday were a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, for for anyone who lived anywhere in the in the northern hemisphere, um, and in Europe specifically, or it, let's just say it was a very rude awakening for a lot of people. Um, we now live in a new era of climate change. Yes, put it that yeah. way. Yeah, the climate has been changing slowly for the last thirty years, constantly, um, and now it's happening really, really fast. Although there's still plenty of quarters out there who don't believe it, it's real. I believe. Um, the Daily Mail's headline on Monday, or not its headline, but one of its main features is like this guy just saying, mm. everyone has to calm down about climate change because it's not really happening, which is not great. And then as we saw on Tuesday, literally homes burning to the ground in London and in round, around the country as well. It, it's happening, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, literally saying this morning on the radio that the London Fire Brigade, it was the busiest it's ever been since World War Two. Yeah, yeah. That's how was, fucking busy it was. They were saying they had, normally on a busy day, they might get 500 calls. To, uh, yeah. And yesterday they got 2,600 calls. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. But um, Alex, as a journalist, what did you think of the media coverage over the last few days? Do, do you have signs of hope? Are we still going down the denial uh, drain? <laughs> I I was I was disheartened. I mean, I th- I kind of thought that we were past the overtly climate denialist phase that we'd sort mm. of grown out of that. But actually, I mean, for example, Ash Sarkar was on Jeremy Vine's show, and they had her opposite number on that was uh, an author called Mike Parry. I think he was basically saying that he didn't believe that this was due to human action alone. Um, there was other like. <laughs> outright denial um and then there's like a a range of shades from there right so a lot of people were i mean you've mentioned for example the daily mail front pages you know one day saying the weather's going to be great everyone go to the beach and then the next day the front pages you know all these homes burning down in london on the other hand there's a lot of people on online trying to kind of downplay it as you've mentioned and one of the ways they kind of try to achieve that rhetorically was to compare it to the heat wave we saw in 1976 now obviously yes. i'm not old enough to remember that but that was a massive heat wave that struck the uk and uh they, the bbc of all places put out this really good video uh, explaining why what happened this week was not the same as what happened then so yeah. Yeah, yes yeah. 1976 was a heat wave but heat waves are happening with increasing frequency and intensity now all of the records were shattered by, you know, generally when records are broken, you, you see them broken by um, a tenth of a degree, right? Mm. Whereas this time the record was smashed by a degree and a half. Mm. And not only in like one or two pockets around the country in the UK, but everywhere, you know, from London all the way up to Doncaster, right into the north of England, which is really, really Yeah, because the, the records were broken in Scotland as well. 
I think it was 33 in, in the Scottish borders, which is, considering it's so, <laughs> it's line of latitude, that is pretty insane. Um, you know, there was lots of coverage over the last uh, few months of like permafrost melting in in Siberia and like flash floods in, in Pakistan and Bangladesh and China. And I think there's a lot of people in, in our space, in the environmental space, who would see the last few days as a tragedy, but like almost a, a welcome one where it would, you know, awaken people to the fact that climate change is here and now we have to do stuff about it. Yeah. We've had people on the show that have thought that we shouldn't wait around for that stuff. <laughs> you know, I suppose in a one way we've not had to wait for it. I believe it was like Kai Heron who came on and said that, you know, you can't expect something like what happened over the last two days to be something that will change stuff. You know, the crisis won't always lead to um, a progressive future or an opportunity for a progressive future. So what what do we think is going to happen now? I think there's been a couple of changes. So it seems that all the Tory candidates for the for the prime ministership are now backing net zero, which yep. wasn't the case on Sunday. Now I'm not saying that's the weather, but I feel like they would struggle to struggle to get away with saying they didn't believe in net zero after after Tuesday, and that's just down to Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss now. Um, like you were saying, the BBC seems to be coming out with information about climate change that you know, and they're not um, doing the kind of both sides thing about it for the most part, yeah. which is pretty good. Really important, yeah. I hate, I hate to ask, but like, what do you think of the other positives are <laughs> these last two days? It's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I can't That's really see enough. any silver lining in this. Yeah, I haven't really been able to spin a positive yarn in my head from this. I, I wonder how our politics is going to evolve if this is going to be the norm. Are we, are we going to have you know like a wildfire season? like they do in the US, like they do in Australia and areas of South Asia. Um, how does that change our relationship um, to politics, to energy in the country? Politicians can't ignore this if there's going to be Cobra meetings every other week in the middle of summer every year. True. And how does, you know, how do the Conservative Party square that circle? Granted, you know, Johnson himself was... Uh, on the green train a little bit better than most of his counterparts were trying to take over the party. If we need a ever-increasing, you know, decarbonisation, transfer, transfer of the economy away from fossil fuels, I think we would both agree re- requires the state to intervene a hell of a lot. Yeah. How does a group like them, like I said, square that circle? Do you think? Do you think COVID has changed changed that politics them a little bit and demonstrated the power of the state? Or do you think actually the last, I guess, God, it's only been a week and a bit of a, of a Conservative Party candidacy race. Yeah. Um, do you think that has actually just shown some true colours and they're always going to be kind of Thatcherite, smaller state? I think I think the latter. I think the, the Tory party will pay lip service to the net zero agenda without actually having any substanti- substantive state-based plans which can actually sort of reach a situation where we've greened an economy. I think their record has been pretty... I mean, you'd agree with me that their record has been terrible, particularly since um, there's that famous headline that David Cameron cut all the green crap in 2013, which saw huge reductions in... Well, essentially banned onshore wind turbine construction which, incidentally, Rishi Sunak has pledged to 
continue if he were prime minister as of today, as of day of recording. So I think, and you mentioned that Boris has been on the green train somewhat. I mean, we, we you peel away the first layer of that and you quite quickly see that the state as a site of mass intervention and investment is actually being the resources of that are being diverted away to like the fossil fuel lobby, right? So yeah. like things like green hydrogen, well, blue hydrogen, actually. The <laughs> hydrogen lobby kind of masquerading as this green entity when in fact it's basically perpetuating fossil fuel investment. I think since 2015, the government subsidised the fossil fuel industry to the tune of about £13.6 billion. Pounds. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's going to be really difficult for them to defend that record and i just don't think that either liz truss or rishi sunak the two candidates left in this race care or if they do care i don't see any policy packages that are serious yeah no i think i think i would agree in in regards to their candidacy and the various red meat policy they've tried to throw to their base and to conservative mps you know it's been around tax cuts and transphobia (laughs) That's been the main yeah, headline of this, much, yeah. of, of this of this race, and then you throw into you know the hottest day since records began. They have to have some form of response. That 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 guy Jim Revine said that twenty fifty was like a ridiculous thing. I wonder how pervasive that is across the rest of the Conservative Party. Yeah, across the Conservative base. You know, at the end of the day, there's going to be about I think it's like one hundred and fifty thousand Conservative Party members. Correct. Are yeah. going to decide who the Prime Minister is. And we'll essentially decide if we if we burn sooner or later, <laughs> to, to put it really, really graphically and bluntly. So XR did an action at News Corporation's headquarters in London. This is the massive corporation that owns the, the Sunday Times, the Times, the Sun. Um, and they went and smashed some windows and, you know, I think they glued themselves to some stuff as well and they put lots of posters basically saying like your media operations are help are driving us towards you know towards an incendiary end. Yeah. <laughs> and like I, I saw that the uh, yesterday on Twitter, I was like, okay, that, that's great, you know, perfect time to be doing some action to try and draw that together. But as something as uh, ads has written about, you know, is is breaking windows is it the step in the right direction to make big change or is it kind of this uh, symbolic, emblematic uh, element of the climate movement right now where we just do enough to get arrested but not enough to change something? You know, I would say fair play to XR for getting out there and doing it and trying to draw that attention right now. At the same time, I feel like most people know about the climate crisis, although saying that i was on some carbon literacy training yesterday on my new job and i felt like i knew every word that the instructor was going to tell me but a lot of other people in that room didn't and were horrified <laughs> at what the reality was really yeah yeah How so so there's a, a lady in one of my groups uh she was from gateshead and she was saying like well what what do we do how how do we stop all this it's like it was the first time she'd ever heard about the gravity of the situation right now which blew my mind but you know why i'm deep in the uh in the green new deal twitter verse <laughs> yeah so like you know all, all i hear about is you know we're, we're going to be dying by next week um so 
maybe XR still doing the right thing. Maybe some maybe someone would have seen that that day and gone, okay, you know, someone's doing something about it. Does does it inspire other people to do something about it? Who knows? You know, we're we're kind of hurtling towards our new climate reality, and we'll see how the movements run with it as well. So XR have had some really effective. One of the most effective protests they've done was when they targeted the press. I think a couple of years ago now, when they, you remember, they shut down the printing presses around London yes. and yeah, Liverpool. Yeah. And it was a really, really effective protest just because, you know, it really shone a light on the role that the media play in kind of manufacturing consent around climate inaction, essentially. And I suppose to take that analytical framework, you probably could evaluate this action quite positively as well. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think what's interesting is, is that question of sabotage yeah. and whether whether it's sufficient. So I think I think to, yeah, to yeah. sort of expand on your point, so I wrote an article for us a couple of weeks ago about Working Class Voices, his, the, the miniseries he hosted for us on working class people and how they interact or view the environmental movement. And something that's one of the most interesting pieces in there, and I'm very timely for this, is that ads observed that there was a, a way that you could kind of see that maybe the middle class as the climate movement as constituted by the middle class was fundamentally unserious, was the way that it would like, you know, engage with the question of whether you can like vandalize property mm. and to like upset the social order and get make create revolutionary change. So to quote, he says, if there is a window that needs to be smashed in order to create change, the middle class will create an art installation around the window write on the window all the reasons why the window needs to be smashed and then stand next to the window reciting a poem about the power of a smashed window. I think what was really interesting was, I mean, I, I kind of found out about this action via ads, a phrase that he, a turn of phrase that was really interesting for me that he used uh, commenting on that was that it was kind of the pushing of the envelope, uh, an inflection point potentially yeah. in the climate movement towards outright sabotage. I mean, before... XR protesters were kind of throwing red paint on buildings, gluing themselves to buildings. But I don't, as far as I'm aware, I don't think that was like permanent damage. Yeah, to no, said you, could, you can scrub the Bank of England clean, I imagine. Yeah, you know, I suppose the next stage of that is like stopping it getting off oil rigs, which feels yeah. like a, is a whole escalation. Well, yeah, so that that is uh, that's what we're going to leave that there. I hope everyone's managed to stay uh, cool and safe over the last few days and. We all see that this is going to keep happening unless we fundamentally change the way that we live and move away from fossil capitalism. Uh, we'll see you next week with our interview with uh, Helen Yaffe, looking at how Cuba's been decarbonizing for the last 30 odd years, and what we can learn from that. And it's also our 100th episode, so please come and check that out. Uh, we're really proud of it. And yeah, we'll see you soon. Bye. See ya.